Christian Parenting. I'm Julie Lyles Carr. You're listening to the All Mom Does Podcast, part of the Christian Parenting Podcast Network. Today on the All Mom Does Podcast, I'm your host, Julie Lyles Carr. Emily Stroud is in the house with all the things we need to know about money and not just money, but how the pandemic and how the seasons that follow when we start digging ourselves out of this, how (laughs) money is going to be impacted. Emily, thanks so much for being with me today. Oh, it's just my pleasure. I'm so excited to visit with you today. Now, you're in the Fort Worth area. We've had you on the podcast before, and we'll be sure and put that podcast episode in the show notes. But just give us a quick thumbnail of of where you are, and the kids are getting older now, and all the things. All the things. I'm still living here at the farmhouse in Fort Worth, Texas, and seeing clients and um, running Stroud Financial Management here from home, which has worked well in the pandemic. I was already working from home. My children are getting older. I have a teenager now. 14-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old little boy. And then we are now doing Faithful Finance Live. I wrote the book a few years ago, a couple years ago, because I wanted more people to have access to how to manage your money without fear and anxiety. And I knew I couldn't meet with everyone in person. And then it's just grown from there. And now we are actually bringing people into my home, into the farmhouse, to just talk about our hopes and our dreams. And we're interviewing really interesting people that are using their time, talents, and resources in a positive way just to encourage all of us what we can do with both our time and our money, which are both finite resources. And so that's Faithful Finance Live now, which is streaming on PureFlix. That's so amazing. It's been so fun to watch the trajectory of what you do and the, the powerful way that you empower people in the ways we look at money. Because Emily, you and I both know, I feel like people are more apt to talk to you about their gastrointestinal symptoms or their sex lives than they are to talk to you about their money. I mean, money feels very private to well, a large that's sector. That's how we were raised, right. most of us. And the funny thing is, I also talk about religion and faith. And so I just get it all out you there. We're talking about money, all of it. We're talking yeah. about God, and we're just And you know what? It doesn't have to be uncomfortable. And the reality is both of these topics are so important and they're interwoven. Our values, our faith, our family dynamics, all of it is interwoven into how we actually manage our money. And I don't think you can disconnect any of those in your life. Right. Now, you know, we have been through some months here, obviously. And Emily, I have to, I I mean, who would ever thought? And and Emily, I have to tell you, I mean, in the early days of the pandemic, when we were going on interviews, I would say, well, you know, we want to make sure that content stays really evergreen. And since this will be over really fast, like, we can touch on the fact we're in a pandemic, but let's not really linger. And now, now the strategy feels a lot different. I'm like, clearly, we need to keep equipping people for the fact that we're in this thing. And will it ever end? And will it ever end? And because we've been in this thing for so long, it clearly is going to have longer ranging impact than we would have anticipated 12 months ago. So what are some things that you have noticed during this time of the pandemic when it comes to money for people? Do you find that people are becoming more intentional? Do you feel like there's more stress out there? I mean, obviously, there are people that this has deeply impacted their work, their careers, the things they thought they were going to be doing. And at the same time, We may have had expenses that have been very normal for us on the table that all of a sudden have disappeared. Things like expenses surrounding commutes and, you know, business wardrobes and things like that. So what are you seeing from your purview as a financial 
professional? Well, I have seen it all over the board, Julie. So I cannot say there is one exact answer for everybody. My hope and my prayer is that this time has kind of put us all in time out a little bit and allowed us a moment to pause and become more mindful of our spending. Some people have cut way back on their spending habits and are saving more. They've gotten used to living on less and wanting less, but they're still employed and that's a huge blessing. For those of us who have had to cut back because of a loss of income for us or our spouse or both, it's a totally different animal right now. But for the majority of people who are still employed, You kind of have two camps. You have the people who have decided, you know what, just like I'm going to get healthy right now physically, I'm also going to get healthy emotionally, and I'm going to get healthy financially. And then we've got some people who are self-medicating, I think, because this is a high-stress time, especially for people who are working from home, trying to raise children, all of the things at one time without ever feeling like they ever really get a break. There is that human nature to self-medicate. And one of those is online spending. It is rampant. You know, it's so easy to sit on your computer and mindlessly scroll through social media and then see something cute and hit shop now. And the next thing you know, or just Amazon, it's all so easy to get whatever we want right now and it magically appears on our doorstep yeah but then also magically appears on our credit card bill (laughs) right exactly exactly but there's not the emotional attachment to spending right now when it's all online and it's with credit cards or apple pay or things that are just the touch of a button and so that's the trap that i am hoping people will try to avoid but it's a slippery slope right now I was seeing that some spending trends that are going to be interesting moving forward. And this one fascinated me because, you know, I love my shoes, Emily. And yet I've worn shoes like maybe, you know, other than my running shoes, like maybe in real shoes once or twice a week over the last year. So, for example, uh, spending on high heels has really dropped. So those people who are in the business of manufacturing that part of the fashion industry are having to take a pause and going, oh, are we ever going to go back? Are there some other areas that you think could be impacted? acted in a way that may not come back around the same way because we're living differently now. Well, the travel industry is a big target right now. They have obviously seen a huge decline in demand for travel. It's picking back up, but nothing like what we saw pre-pandemic levels. Um, You know, it's interesting, even a snow day is no longer a A snow snow day, day. yeah. you know, because you can Zoom. So it's right back at it for children at school and people working. So that was an interesting one for me is the quintessential, I don't have to work or go to school today. Um, That is another thing is people, there's no hard set boundary for people right now between work and play or just family time. It's really all very, very, very fluid, which is good and bad. I think the beauty industry, that's going to be an interesting one to see how much people continue to spend on aesthetic type purchases when you're not really going anywhere or seeing anyone. I don't know. I think maybe that will always probably be something for women that we want, but I don't know. There's so many far reaching lasting results of changing the way we completely live. Right. Yeah, it's been interesting to me what initially at the beginning of the pandemic, I sort of was hanging on to. 
And just out of a sense of, well, but I still want to show up and be professional, even if a meeting that I would have had in person is now going to be via Zoom. There was another part of me that had this little rebel, like, well, I might show up like like this and this, but, you know, I'm going to be barefoot or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Well, pants. It's yeah. funny. <laughs> we, we still buy cute tops, but we're wearing pajama pants on the bottom. Yes, yes. And then, and then <laughs> I had to upgrade my pajama pant game because those pajama pants just kept shrinking, Emily. I couldn't figure it out. I would what go to put on. It was like, what in the world? These pajama pants keep getting smaller. But I do find now that we're into more of a rhythm, like we're, you know, we're a year in. And I think there are things about it that we have that fatigue that researchers have identified saying no matter where you stand in all this and what you think about closings or masks or whatever, no matter where your stance is, we're all tired. We're a little tired of the things that we've had to navigate around and troubleshoot. And at the same time, I find a little bit of a resurgence, like, well, if this is life, and this is life for several more months, and then the continued echo of that, well, then there are some things that I want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to be a little more consistent with the hair. I'm going to try to get the lipstick on a little more frequently. What are some things that you think that we can take a look at that, of course, if we're wanting to be responsible in our spending, that's awesome. But there are things that truly do enhance our lives that maybe we've been putting off during the pandemic and during a freeze on spending for ourselves that really do have things that have value for us. Well, I think anything that involves community or relationships, we all still need to be connected. And so I hope that people will not isolate themselves. So things like, I still think it's important to have a cup of coffee with a friend in person. Um, people might disagree with me right now, but I think you can do it in ways that are safe and responsible, but I still think we need human connection. We need to have that feeling of I've got support and there's someone that I can speak to that understands my stage of life or that we can be mentored by other people. We still need human connection. And I think that is really important. Right. I think, too, that one of the things I'm finding that you're so right about that you touched on is when it comes to spending because of the pandemic, things that were already in play, for example, a lot of us were already using Amazon, things like that. But now we're seeing Walmart.com come in as a major player. I was already using Instant Cart pretty frequently for groceries, but that became even bigger. And the barrier to doing it when you've already input all your data you're so right. I mean, it's, it's the things that might have slowed me down in the past, like pulling out that credit card with right. the receipt that I had just spent at the store I'd been at just before. That might be something that would make me go, Oh, Jules, maybe pump the brakes a little bit, maybe think about it. Those barriers are gone. So how do we keep some kind of heart and emotional and thinking accounting going on to monitor how we're doing in a way that, of course, let's embrace the convenience But at the same time, throw up a flare every now and then of, do you really, do you really need that? (laughs) Well, we still need to be living within a budget. Right. So I always tell people that you never outgrow the need for a budget, no matter what your stage of life or your age, because you cannot spend more than you make or the same amount as you make and think that long term you're going to get ahead financially and not be living either paycheck to paycheck or without a savings or an emergency fund or honestly just being able to enjoy your financial life and plan for retirement or 
things that you're excited about, taking that trip, helping your children with their education, um, all sorts of things, uh, buying a home. These are all financial goals that a lot of us really want. But if we're mindlessly spending and we're not aware of how much is coming in and how much is going out, we're never going to get there. And so I do give away a free budget worksheet on my website faithfulfinance.com and the number one reason I do that is the biggest objection to having a budget is creating the budget mm, okay for a lot of people that causes them to shut down I don't know what to include what not to include and it it's easier to avoid it and then the other thing for couples that are married I find that it's a great communication tool so no one's the bad guy. You're not looking at your checking account saying, I didn't know you spent that much on that. And why are you doing that? Because remember, money is one of the top three reasons that couples argue and divorce. So this budget planner allows them to sit together and talk about it without it being a contentious situation. And so then they can kind of merge their goals together. And um, I just find that it helps so much. So it's the first step to financial freedom. And it's something that we still need maybe even more now in right. this pandemic type time when we're spending online and with credit cards and that sort of thing. And I liked what you said about convenience. I use Instacart as well for my grocery delivery because I'm a busy working mom right. and it saves me hours of shopping. And in one sense, I spend a lot less than I would if I was going to the grocery store because I'm not throwing in the Oreos that I bought as an impulse, right. I'm only buying what I actually need or what's on my list, which is great. And so just like credit cards have a lot of benefits for points for travel and all sorts of things, but you still have to pay them off every month. Still got to pay it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I am by no means against convenience. I'm the poster child for how can we work smarter, not harder. Yeah. <laughs> but we still have to be mindful of what it actually costs us each month. Right. You know, you brought up marriage and how money in marriage is such a huge issue. And I hear a lot of different approaches. I would love to hear your thoughts. I know some couples that everything goes into a common account and everything is, is handled from there. I know other couples where he's got the money he's earning, she's got the money she's earning. They're paying into some kind of account that takes care of household and all of that. Um, then I have people who raise their hands in a way that I think is very fair and say, yeah, but we still live in a culture in which women are paid 23% less than men. They're still doing 80 to 85% of the maintenance of home and kids and all that kind of stuff. So should I really be paying half? You know, like, is that really a fair way to look at that accounting? How do you manage that with couples to help them come up with a strategy that works for whatever their couplehood is and accommodates for things like division of labor, accommodates things for things like wage differentials, that seems to be working so that you can have these healthy conversations about money and it doesn't come become something that's very conflicted or something that becomes combative. Well, personally, I believe if you're married, then your money probably should be married too. So I think a great best practice is to both have spending money and then set an agreed upon amount that each of you can use each month and you don't have to check in with the other, or maybe it's a dollar amount. If it goes over a certain dollar amount, say a hundred dollars for some couples, it might be a thousand dollars for somebody else. If it's an expense above these thresholds, we need to talk about it before you do it. But I do think we all crave some autonomy. I don't want to call my husband every time I'm at Hobby Lobby and say, can I buy this picture frame? However, 
you are married and hopefully you are joining your life together. And so I think it's really a slippery slope. And also you're probably not being as strategic as you can because one spouse may have a corporate retirement plan with benefits and another spouse may be self-employed or um, be working at home as a full-time homemaker and they don't have those retirement benefits, but the retirement benefits that one spouse has should be seen as for both of their benefit. So I am a big fan of a plan that comes together rather than encourages infighting. Right, right. <laughs> That's what happens. I think we're selfish by nature and it's one of those sanctification processes of marriage in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Learning how to share and learning how to share yeah. well. I love that that um, phrase of yours that you're married, your money should be married too. That's That's really a beautiful way of saying that. What do you find in helping people navigate their money that what we're really dealing with is an emotional or a psychological connection, not just numbers on a spreadsheet? What do you find in that arena? Oh, my goodness. We could have many conversations yeah. about this. But money represents our heart a lot of times. I always tell people, if you'll let me look in your checking account for one month, I can tell you exactly what's important to you. Because where you're spending your money is representative of your vices. It's representative of your passions. It's representative of your needs, your family dynamics. And so that's one of the reasons I am so passionate about what I do is the financial life is composed of many arenas. I find it fascinating now. I can barely get through a meeting with new clients if they're really being authentic without one person crying. Mm. And it's because money represents our family, our past, our family of origin, our aging parents, our young children, our struggles, our dreams, our hopes, our faith. It's so intertwined. And so I don't think you can separate the two. I don't know if I answered your question well, but it's just all wrapped up in one big package. It is. It is. You know, I um, recently went through the loss of both my grandmother and my mother within just a few wow. weeks of each other. And, and in getting all that paperwork, it was interesting because it's paperwork on finances, right? Mm -hmm. But what was fascinating is I remember my grandmother saying she lost my granddad when he was 53. So she was widowed for 50 years. Wow. And she would talk about she took such beautiful care of everything she had. She was one of those people born she was born in 1918, came into a, you know, those early teen years and adult years of marriage through the Great Depression into World War II. And she always was very strategic with how she saved money. She was mm -hmm. very strategic with her coupons. And she was very cautious and thoughtful with what she purchased. She would buy things that were nice and she'd keep them a long time. But what she told me after she was looking at, she was in the same house for many, many years. And what she told me about the furniture and the things that she was concerned about how it was going to pass down is she said, you know, your grandfather worked so hard for us to have those things. They were emblematic of how he spent his time. Mm -hmm. And as I was going through this paperwork, it was very emotional in the sense of whether you're left something big or small or, you know, a knickknack that meant something or whatever. It actually is a captured thing of how somebody spent their time and that time 
is finite. And that emotional part of money has been just heightened in that experience of, of walking through this over the last several years with extended family that we've lost and things that have happened. And, and you go, wow, I mean, yes, it's your value system as you spoke to, it represents more psychologically. And it also has this heritage aspect that's really fascinating in terms of what we leave behind, whether that is one little knickknack or that's something, you know, like some huge trust or something. It's not about the the amount. It's about the representation of the time that was spent, the care that was spent in bringing something down. How do you find that that plays a role as well? Because it's it's all the things that we feel about ourselves and if we're succeeding or if we're not and if we feel like we have security or not, but then even thinking forward about what we want for our kids or what we want for another generation. Well, and that is the battle cry of proactive financial planning is I tell my clients, we are not planning for dying. Let's plan for living. Mm. How do you want to live well? And by being mindful of your spending, mindful of your saving, strategic, especially if time is on your side, it's not a good idea to wake up at 65 and decide I better start saving for retirement. That's your, you've missed the accumulation years. And so the earlier you can start planning for what's important to you, the more dreams and goals you will meet. Anything is possible with a plan. But I want people to think about the fun part. What are your dreams? It doesn't have to be all negative of I've got to get a will and make sure my estate plan's in order so that I die well. Yes, we need to be wise stewards of what we have and make sure our children and grandchildren, if we have them, are taken care of. But also, what do we want to do while we're here, both with our time and our money? Because both are important. With my retirees, I often tell them you have more time than money. So what are you going to do with your time? Yeah. <laughs> have that conversation. And then the same thing for people where in my stage of life, we have more money than time right now. Who are you going to support? What do you want your legacy to be? Who, who do you want your children to um, emulate? Because Whatever we do in moderation, I've been told, and I think it's true that our children will do in excess. So what mm. do you want your children to do in excess when either you're long gone or at the other end of your lifespan? So right. um, I love having these conversations with people about their specific situation and what's important to them. I really like that phrase that whatever you're doing in moderation, your kids will do in excess. I think that really is a powerful way to look at that and to f help it frame how we mm -hmm. handle our money. Now, you know, we may have some moms listening out there, Emily, who are going, yeah, this all sounds great, but here's the deal. Like we have taken such a hit through the pandemic financially. Sure. So even the idea of planning or even thinking long-term just seems so far beyond. We're just trying to figure out how to make it in the day-to-day. -day. What are some things that you think are helpful, whether it's from a mindset perspective, whether it is from a practical perspective that you can put pen to paper, what are things that people can do when they find themselves, they have skinny things way down, they're trying to be really smart, but things are just really tough in the economy. What can they be doing? Well, from a practical standpoint, and I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but the budget is very important. Right. And sometimes even when we think we have gotten it down to the bare minimum, we really haven't because there's things that we automate and we don't even realize we're spending money on. A great practical tool is declutter. What do you have around your home that is taking up space that you no longer use, but someone else would use or want? 
with Facebook groups and so many ways to sell things online, this is a benefit of being able to get online at the click of a button. Now we can sell things too. So that's another um, really practical and beneficial opportunity for people. Number one, you declutter your space, which helps free up some mind space too, but you also can turn some clutter into cash, which is important. And then looking at that, um, budget and then figure out if there is a specific unique talent that you have that you can turn into an income stream from your home. I have friends that are monogrammers that have always sewed and now people are paying them to monogram things. I have friends that are baking and selling um, right now for Valentine's Day or Easter or those holidays. It's a, a lot of times people will want something homemade and so those that are gifted in that area can turn that into a business and so figure out if there's ways that you can they call it a side hustle right but a way to increase your income in a less traditional way than a nine-to-five job and then you know you've either got to work more or want less or spend less and have to land somewhere there. I'm really yeah. glad you brought up what I call invisible spending, which are those little things that you don't even remember that you've put on a subscription basis on Amazon, or, you know, your, your printer sending you ink, you know, every two months that you signed up or even subscription services for streaming that you didn't sure. remember, you know, yeah, we signed up for that one thing on PBS streaming so that the kids could watch this documentary for blah, blah, blah. And here we are four months later, and it's we still on there. Yeah. $7 for the last four months, for right. the privilege of watching that two hour movie. Exactly. And those are the things that I think often when we can do that inventory and take a good look show up that we didn't even realize were there. So oh, sure. So when it comes to our faith and our finances, you know, there seem to be kind of two extremes of a camp. One is, well, God will just figure everything out. So I don't have to really think about these things. And the other is, well, clearly, if I'm walking well with God, he's going to financially bless me like crazy far and above anybody else. Where do we really need to land? Where's really the healthy place, Emily, when it comes to this intersection of our faith and our finances? Well, I definitely don't preach a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel by any means. Um, I think God does bless us, especially when we're giving and tithing, but I don't think the blessings look the same for everyone. It may be an emotional blessing. It may be a spiritual blessing. It might be helpers that come alongside us. Um, I don't think just because I, some people will say, oh, if you give, then God's going to multiply whatever you give and bring it back tenfold. Or, you know, you hear those kind of things. I don't think that's necessarily true, but I do believe that he does bless us when we are giving and tithing. However, I also don't want people to get bogged down in the rules of tithing. That's another um, interesting thing that I have witnessed. Yes, the Bible defines a tithe as 10%, but what I've heard of an obje objection is, well, if I can't give 10%, then I won't give it all. Right. And that's not good either. If you've never given anything to anyone ever, start small. And also think of your time as a way to serve and give. Because once again, a lot of nonprofits need volunteers and that time is valuable and service is valuable. I think it changes us though. I think it lifts our anxiety and our depression tendencies when we start focusing outward and upward and not on ourselves. So I think there's a lot of benefits that come from giving and tithing that are not just financial. I find that I'm a lot less concerned about my own issues when I start focusing on how can I help someone else. It completely changes your focus. So 
I love the idea that we can't all be missionaries. We can't all be running nonprofits, but we all can be supporting them financially. Right. And then let that help be the hands and feet. Let me say out, it's always so great to get to catch up with you. The new show is Faithful Finance Live, the TV series on Pure Flix. And we'll make sure and get that free budget worksheet link in the show notes. Emily, so great to see you. Thanks again for such wisdom. So many great gems in this episode that are really going to help people in a season that has felt really uncertain and where we've all been wrestling with (laughs) the financial impact of that. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. You'll find more from this episode on the show notes. Be sure and check them out at allmondoes.com. And wanted to ask you a big favor, be sure and go to wherever you are listening to this podcast and give us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us get the word out about the podcast. Can't wait to see you next time on the All Mom Does Podcast. Thanks for listening. We just wanted to take a minute to let you know that just like you and your family, Purposely is also part of a family, the Krista Family of Ministries. Krista helps kids and teens learn and grow in their faith at King Schools and Miracle Ranch Camp. And Krista shares Jesus with people in the poorest, most remote places through World Concern. Krista Senior Living is a community of love and care, and Krista Media is a place of hope on the radio. God is changing lives through these five ministries, and Krista is on mission to share the good news of Jesus. To learn more, visit Krista.org.